Having built a reputation as the executive chef for the largest luxury hotel in Texas, Andre Natera is a renowned expert in both the food and hospitality industry. Every week, Andre is going to invite the restaurant industry's biggest innovators, entrepreneurs, and experts at running the pass, heat up the oil, set out the sauces. It's time to run the pass. All right, we're going to welcome Diego Galicia to the show. Diego is the other half of Michli Restaurant in San Antonio and Kumo Restaurant in San Antonio. Super creative chef, very funny, good friend, and all-around interesting guy. Let's jump right into it. Diego, how are you? It's good to see you, man. Good, good. I'm starting to, uh, I guess a year in, I'm starting to kind of get that whole COVID blues thing. And, you know, I'm trying to snap out of it, but it's, it's becoming kind of daily, a daily struggle for me. I'm kind of hitting my my uh my limit but other than that man i'm doing pretty good Not yeah. too bad. so we were we were just talking with rico and he was he was telling us about the new place that's opening up <laughs> i'm sure opening up a restaurant during a pandemic is, is is sometimes you know not the top of the list for a lot of people uh you know what are some of the challenges for you on that yeah it's uh it sounds i mean it sounds kind of dumb to open up a restaurant during a pandemic it's uh, it's such a huge gamble and um we uh we were forced to kind of just keep on pushing with our plans. You know, we weren't going to stop, you know, on, on anything. So everything kind of fell into place uh, as the pandemic was started, you know, our financing got into in line and we found a beautiful space that we wanted and we just had, kind of had to like push through, you know, so we're putting everything on the table. We're going all in uh, with the hopes that when this thing uh, eases out, you know, people will come out and support the restaurant. Uh, since Michelle has been such a special place in San Antonio for the past, you know, seven years. So we're hoping that uh, when this is said and done and the dust settles, we'll be able to uh, to get back at it. And uh, it's been an interesting process, man, trying to open a restaurant in a pandemic. Uh, yeah, I bet. What, what are some of the things that like, uh, so for the people that don't open restaurants all the time, what is different now opening up a restaurant during a pandemic that you wish you would have known then? Uh, well, everything's slower, right? So the city, it's much slower. You know, those things happen. The inspections kind of get delayed and um, it's uh, it's a process that kind of just goes into slow motion. If it's slow before, when everything's, you know, everything's normal in, in the world, it feels heavier and slower, you know, 10 times now that, you know, the pandemic's going on. Uh, in the back of your head, you're just scared. You know, you're just scared that, hey, it's going to be another year, another two years. Uh, because at one point, we're going to start paying rent. You know, you got to start paying rent at some point. Regardless whether there's a virus or not going around, you got to start paying rent. You got to open your doors. Um, and that's the scariest part is that we need to be ready. Uh, hopefully, things will align and everybody's ready to come out. In, in you know when we're, it's safe to do so but that's a scary part everything just slower it feels slower and heavier but you just got to keep on walking you know it's like uh if you step on mud and you can turn water wet out of there it's it's kind of how it feels right now just try to push and it's just a little bit heavier so michely uh prior um used to sell tickets on on talk on the talk platform correct that's correct. Yep. For the longest time, Rico and I kind of made our own system, but it was very inaccurate, man. It was so inaccurate. It was really hard for us because it was basically just a guest list for the day. Uh -huh. And uh, people could go online, buy a ticket, and then we had to immediately go in and change that inventory. Otherwise, you could just sell all the tickets, right? And it happened a bunch of times, well, not a bunch of times, but quite a few times, where we'd be 6.45 ready for service and we're fully booked. And then you get six people walking the door with tickets. And then we look at each other and I'm like, shit, I forgot to go in and change the inventory, you know? And they had tickets. They were like, hey, we came from Houston. We came from Austin. We came from Dallas just for, to dine here. And I look at the restaurant. It's full. And I'm like, fuck. 
you know, like, what are we going to do? Like, it's, it's so embarrassing. And lucky for us, man, uh, we would send them off to our friends' restaurants. Like, yo, I would call, uh, I don't know, my friend Lou Cologne. He had folk. I'd be like, yo, man, I got a six stop coming in. Whatever they want, I'll put the bill. And it happened. You know, we had to eat that up. We had to eat that spoonful of mistake. And, uh, but not through talk, man. Talk's a phenomenal system. I cannot stress it enough. It's taken a lot of our pains and suffering a lot oh. from the weekend. So for people that don't know what talk is, uh, can, you, can you explain what that is just a little bit? Yeah, so talk's a ticketing system developed by the guys out of Alinea, uh, Nico Konis and uh, Chef uh, Granakets out of Chicago. They made a system for themselves, a ticketing system for Alinea and Aviary. Uh, but they quickly realized that all of us that do tickets could use that system, right? So uh, we jumped in the first chance we could for the, to the platform. Uh, the tech support is great. Uh, basically, mm-hmm. just go online to the website, which is restaurantmission.com. Uh, go through talk and then you buy a ticket you come to dinner uh, you get your confirmations your reminders and everything through the system through talk uh, it allows guests to uh, uh, transfer tickets to friends and family rather than just kind of lose the reservation um, and it's great it's taken a lot of a lot of weight on my shoulders for the past uh, four years that we've had it so it's, it's, a, it's I, a great. I would say there's also a big advantage on the prep side right so you you only buying the food that you sold that's it right and you know it's already prepaid so you get to know exactly how many, how many covers you're doing. Uh, there's, there's less waste. It's more efficient for the restaurant. There's a lot of benefits to, uh, to going with talk. Uh, I've done quite a few interviews about this subject, and I believe the system in restaurants right now, it's broken. It's completely broken. It's a trust system. It's bullshit. It's an honesty-based system, and it's just an Sorry, I didn't mean to cuss. I don't know if I can cuss in the podcast. It's okay, it's okay But it's a terrible, Tell terrible, us how you feel. Right. Tell this us is how something, you feel. This is something I get really <laughs> fired up about because this, the, the current system of restaurants, it's broken. It's an honesty system. It's completely broken. It's completely trash, uh, right? I mean, let's say uh, restaurant A, I make a reservation. The chef and the team gets ready to prep. They were ready for, to welcome me for the restaurant and I don't show up, right? So what's going to happen? You know, the chef has labor hours put in already. They got food purchased for me already. I just don't show up. It's broken. How are people supposed to make a living with that shit? It is impossible. Doctors, every time I go to the doctor, man, I get paid ahead of time. Every time I go to a concert, I got to pay ahead of time. Every time I go to the movies, I got to pay ahead of time. Every time I have an attorney do something for the restaurant, I got to pay ahead of time. Why cannot not get paid ahead of time? Why? Why cannot certify my bills for the month or my staff their bills for the month? Why can I guarantee my staff their healthcare is taken care of because of an honesty-based system that's old? I can go through this rabbit hole, man, for a week talking to you about it, how much it upsets me, how broken the current system, uh, restaurant system is. It, it's, it's, a, it's broken. It's a joke. You're, you're going to give Nick Kokonis an idea and start selling season tickets, sell season tickets to Michelin. Well, we had a Michelin, man, back in the day, Rick and I, we had the cloud pass, right? Because we were getting yeah. started. We were just like, hey, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's offer some, because we would come for the same menu all the, to the menu all the time. You know, hey, guys, we cannot wait for the next six weeks to come around. We'll come back to the next menu. And we were like, yo, what if we do a cloud pass, right? Michelin cloud, cloud pass. And it allows you to buy tickets for the whole year. You can come whenever you want. Um, and then um, that's it. You know, you pay for the whatever. It was like a $1,500 ticket at that time. And uh, it didn't work. We didn't sell it, right? Which is fine. It was just a big, uh, a big experiment, uh, which I think in the end would have really hurt us uh, in the end. I think it would have been, it would have been not, not so good for us. But uh, it was just an idea that we just kind of wanted to pilot. In. When you think about building a culture in, in the restaurant world, I think you touched on two things. Uh, Enrico touched on this a little bit earlier too. Um, is that 
if you want to give back to your employees, educating them is going to be priceless, right? The education is something that that's invaluable to them for the next, uh, for their lifetime, right? So give them financial education and give them education on health and wellness um, so that they can uh, be in this business for 15, 20 years without, you know, without burnout or without going into a downward spiral uh, with a bunch of health and emotional issues. Um, and also giving them the resources to be uh, financially stable. Like you said, open a checking account, learn how to invest their money, things like that. I, I, th I think this type of education, and if someone works in an environment like that, I think they'll be more likely to stay um, and you'll get a more productive, engaged employee uh, out of it. A hundred percent. I was uh, driving out of, I went to Austin this weekend. Uh, my fiance had a great time in Austin, man. I needed to kind of get away. And we were driving back and we had a podcast going on. And I heard these words, man, that stuck with me. And then if you eat, it said uh, to be of service, you got to be fit for service, right? Mm -hmm. So how are you going to have a bunch of broken cooks and front of the house people being of service to others in the restaurant when they have this big cloud over their heads of stress and how they're going to pay their bills? And, you know, it's, so we need to really set them up for success, right? So if they want to mm -hmm. be of service for others, they need to be fit for service, right? And that stuck with me. And it's it just something that I've kind of been going through my mind um, these past couple of days. How can we best support? our staff, you know, and uh, I've been known, man, for always, always speaking my mind. And I don't have a lot of filters, man, because I really don't give a shit what people think about me and what I have, you know, and I've always, uh, a lot of chefs don't really care about their staff. They don't care. You know, they don't care. Uh, they're just bodies. They're just, you know, they're, they're just canon meat. They just want to work them and work them because I've worked at those restaurants, man. I've been overworked and I've been, you know, paid, you know, seven fifty an hour, whatever the minimum wage is. And, and it's a terrible place to be. Right. So how do you expect your chef, your chefs to, uh, to, to be a, a, a happy and cheerful and of service when they're just broken, right? And the cancer comes within the walls from the restaurant, you know? So um, something I've taken in my career with, with, with Chef Rico and in our life initially is that even though we have 12 seats, man, we've been able to support our staff the way we, we really think they should be supported, you know? And I really hope that other chefs can open their eyes and, and see that with other teams, they're, they're nothing. They're, they're, they're really nothing, man. It's... Uh, it's, it's the people that make that magic happen. And, and, you know, that's my commitment to them is that, Hey, even though the pandemic, yeah, we're kind of, we're slower, way slower than we were, you know, pre pandemic times. Mm -hmm. uh, we're just going to keep pushing and supporting y'all and, and doing the best we can. Well, I, I know uh, Philip Spears at Comedor and, and Gabe Arales when he was there, you know, had their Comedor run club, but they were, you know, doing yoga there. Um, so I'm starting to see a lot of restaurants now start to include, you know, health and wellness programs and encourage, uh, in, encourage um, encourage their teams to 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 exercise and be fit and maybe uh, don't don't go out and have that uh, don't go out and have that beer after work or maybe don't buy don't buy those meme stocks Diego don't yeah, buy don't, game stocks don't, <laughs> don't do, do it. it don't lose I lost so much money uh, don't hey, do it hey, don't I'm fall for my, Reddit I'm gonna hold my AMC stocks man you'll see it's gonna, it's gonna <laughs> Wall Street bets you, you didn't come through. Um, but anyway, I, I think, I think both those things are, are, you know, financial literacy and, uh, and health and wellness is really going to be the game changer of work environment. Um, you know, you, you see it in the, you, you're seeing it in, in bigger companies like Google and Apple that put that, um, you know, at the, at the forefront of, of, uh, you know, of options for the employees. And I think restaurants need to adopt that soon as well. Absolutely. It's, uh. It's a necessity, man. You know, I saw a commercial from Budweiser yesterday about, uh, oh, rough day. Let's go have a beer. I don't know if you saw it too. They were like uh, a breakup. Oh, let's go have a beer. No, 
that's terrible. That's like a weird, bad message, man. It's like when you're at your lowest point, man, you're depressed or sad. It's not just going to have a beer. It's like, hey, let's sit down. Let's figure it out. Let's make a plan, you know? Uh, I don't know, man. I'm drinking less than I used to. I really don't drink that much anymore. Maybe once a month, maybe a couple of drinks. I just, I don't know, man. It's, uh, I'm really pushing to be a little bit healthier because I made a vow, man, to do this for the rest of my life. You know? I'm 36. Yeah. I'll be 40, you know, in a few years. And I want to go the distance. I want to be able to say, hey, I'm, I'm done cooking. I gave it my all and, and I reached the, the, the finish line. And, you know, I, I didn't fall apart in the process, you know. This is a, a profession man, full of landmines, full of mm-hmm. landmines. I, you know, I've, I've stepped in my couple of landmines before, you know, but I, I, so far I have all my limbs and uh, I want to finish my career whole, you know. And uh, when you get to be 36, 37, 40, things start to hurt, you know. Your blood pressure goes up, things that you need, you need to start worrying about. Um, and I think uh, I'm trying to make those little more conscientious changes in my life so I can make it through the finish line at some point. Um, cause it's, uh, things, things hurt now more than they did when I was you know, 20. You know? So just little changes here and there. Where, where do you think, uh, you know, you talk about the next generation of cooks that are coming up and, and, you know, this pandemic kind of leveled the, the playing field sometimes maybe I think in a bad way. Um, but it made people in culinary school think, uh, do I really want to do this? Right. I, I just saw, I mean, I've seen, I'm sure you've seen lots of your friends, restaurants close, lots of people that you know and care for lose their jobs. Um, and so now as a young cook, uh, you know, coming out of high school or, or, or thinking about changing careers where before, you know, culinary was like, Oh yeah, I, I want to do that. I've, I've watched enough food network that I think I could be a, I think I could be the next iron chef. Um, and now I think the reality has sunk in. Do you think that uh, that we're almost, you know, I, I hate to use the term reset because I feel like that term might be overused right now, but, you know, we're at a point where the, the, the restaurant industry has seen a bit of a reset where it's like, okay, you know, only certain restaurants are moving forward. If you really didn't want to be a chef uh, and you just like cooking, maybe now's the time to decide to step out. I really think, man, uh, the narrative of cooking school has to change. I'm a CIA grad. I went to CIA and I knew what I was getting myself into, right? I knew that I was going to go. It was going to be expensive, but I wanted to see what it looked like. I wanted to learn from the inside out. Uh, do I recommend people going to culinary school? Absolutely not. Definitely not. Uh, because you're going to come out a lot of money in debt, crippling debt, probably for the rest of your life where you can go to a really good restaurant and, uh, and cook and learn the same stuff. Now during COVID, um, actually anytime anybody wants to become a chef or a cook from now on, go to a restaurant, Put in a week, tell the chef, hey, chef, treat me just like everybody else in this restaurant. Stay for a week. And if you really enjoy it, if you enjoy everything about it, if you enjoy the pay and the environment, go. You're in. You're made for this shit. Just go balls to the wall. If you're going to go in with reservations about, well, I don't, this is not enough money for me, then just completely just stop, right? When I started cooking, man, if I wanted uh, money, I would just get another job. And I did, I would get a job at a diner, making diner food. And then at the John Best restaurant downtown in the evenings. And that would make plenty of money for me to survive, right? Um, you need to understand, man, this cooking thing is a vow. You cannot just flip flopping in and out of the industry whenever it's convenient for you because it's cool. I saw it on TV, they were making bubbles and a thing and it was super fun. It's a real thing. It's a real career. It's a real job. You need to commit mm-hmm. to it, right? Um, so I really think, I really hope that after COVID and people that want to become part of the industry, uh, go to a restaurant, any restaurant, go to a gym or an IHOP or we get your shit kicked, commit to a week, work it there. If you really enjoy it, then you're made for this. Otherwise, that, that's, just stop. I mean, don't, it's not, it's, don't go to culinary school. Don't get yourself into crippling debt. 
uh, find a good chef, find a good restaurant, ask all the questions, um, and then go from there. Well, chef, um, tell, tell people where they could find, uh, where they could find you. Yeah. So I'm not on Facebook anymore. Facebook is like this pit of despair. I don't enjoy Facebook anymore. Uh, Instagram at the Diego show, just one big word. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm always there. Guess any questions about anything. I'm an open book. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's where I'm at these days. Is it MichelinRestaurant.com? It's uh, RestaurantMichel.com and then OmakaseKumo.com. OmakaseKumo.com. Well, Diego, thank you. It's a pleasure to see you. Uh, Thank you for taking time to speak with us, and uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. Awesome. Thank you, guys. See you soon. So we're here today with Rico Torres. He's a chef and co-owner of Michelin Restaurant in San Antonio. He's one of the most phenomenally talented chefs in San Antonio. He's changing the game. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. We're both from the same town of El Paso. Uh, really excited to jump into the conversation with Rico today. Rico, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing beautiful. So thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been a really exciting 2020. Um, and you know, going into 2021, I mean, my head's still kind of swimming, but it's it's been so much growth this year. So you guys just opened to the new place. Yeah, Kumo. So Kumo's happening right now while Michele is getting built out in its new home downtown in Southtown uh, here in San Antonio. And Kumo, Kumo Omakase, so Kumo means cloud, just like Michele means cloud. Okay. And the art meaning that we leave it up to you. It's kind of a, it's a style of dining in Japan where the chef is basically choosing the dishes for you. In this case, now, it's... What, uh, what made you decide on Omakase, by the way, just to... Just out of curiosity, before you go too far in, for the, I think it, explain to people what omakase is for people that don't know. Oh, so omakase, you will go into a restaurant and the chef will be preparing dishes that he or she specifically chooses for you throughout the night. Uh, that can change in quantity and definitely change in in what they are, but it's always up to the chef. And so the word itself means I respectfully leave it up to you, and that's mm. what we wanted to do because. We were already doing something to that effect with Mishli. Uh, the menus were just a lot longer. They were more detailed. And I think it came out of a growth, out of a desire to, to just want to shift around as much as possible. Mishli, um, when it comes back, is still going to go into that format that we had in the past where it's a little more detailed and themed against a, a state in Mexico, a region, a time in history, cooking ideals. But this one was more about letting the creativity flow. And from the get, it was it was a big injection of creativity and, and uh, energy for the entire team uh, because, you know, you run out of a product. It's like, okay, let's switch it up. Let's do something new. Let's, let's bring in something different. And that'll run for a week or two. And, you know, sometimes they're really great, but you get bored of it. You want to do something new and it just continues to go and, and grow and really starts to pick your brain at what can I, what else can I do with these products before, you know, so I don't have so much waste. I don't know. All kinds of stuff are happening kitchen with the ingredients but we try not to let too much of anything go to waste and I, you know that's something that i've always respected with austin chefs and something that we try to kitchen as well so how many chefs right now um are in the kitchen in kumo because it's relatively small correct so it's still in the train car and the kitchen's smaller than it was before the way that we arranged it we broke mm-hmm. up the the previous uh, table that we had at Michley, which was made for 12 people broke it up I made six tables for two people and separated them and nailed them to the wall so they can't move around and people can't be like, I want to push them together, especially right now when we have to have a little bit of separation. That crunched up our kitchen a little bit, but uh-huh. it's four of us, Diego and myself, uh, Chef Alexander and Melissa, and rocking it. Of course, it, in about three weeks, we'll be hiring and growing that about four times but for the new spot. 
so, so tell us about the new spot. What's going on there? Uh, brand new building, uh, lots of glass windows everywhere. That one will have 36 seats. Uh, the dining room it has an open kitchen. So, you know, chefs are cooking as close to the guests as possible. Private dining room as well. That's also behind a glass, a wall of windows. So it's really cool to be able to see in there. But at the same time, it's like you're not in there. So maybe you want to buy it the next time you come by. Uh, we'll also have the bar behind the kitchen uh, with a separate entrance. So if you don't have reservations for dinner, you can still come in through the side entrance. Uh, we'll have an amazing, you know, agave cocktail program. Uh, mm -hmm. Derek Cortez has come on board with us to help us develop that. And we'll also have a little cart kind of cruising the dining room with a bunch of agaves, making sure that you, you get your, uh, your shot of, of mezcal or tequila or whatever it is before you leave. Now, some, some people would say, Rico, that uh, you're courageous for opening up a restaurant right now during a pandemic, right? Yeah. Well, it's a good thing that people got to eat. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's a good thing. It's a good, we're, <laughs> it's a good we're, thing. We're, the, the robots haven't replaced us yet, so we're still, we're still all know, right. We've, been, we've, always, we've always been, yeah, we've always been kind of blessed, Andre. I'm not, I'm not a very religious person, but I do believe that I guess there's a higher power looking over us sometimes because it seems like every time that, that we get a red light to and we have to stop what we're doing, it's for a good reason. And so... Mm -hmm. The Mishli project was actually held up almost almost six months now, but it would have been terrible opening it up six months ago. Uh, yeah, it would have really hurt. We've been very lucky with uh, the the landlord that we have and the team that we have, the customers that we have, and everything's just kind of organic. And you know, we Diego and I have become very keen to, and attuned to those changes and those resistances that that come into hand. And so we learn to read them and roll with it. Either you know we push harder or we need to slow down a little bit and let this thing unfold the way it needs to. Um, and that's, that's I, kind I heard, of been very special for us. I heard you say once that you have to em embrace the chaos. Yeah. What does that mean? What do you mean by that? When you say embrace that, the chaos, that's something that I feel like I learned this year for 2020. I mean, 2020 was, was a, was a tough one, right. And full of lessons, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one that I like to unpack because it's, it's it really talks about betting on yourself. Mm -hmm. So chaos, chaos is always this, this behavior that's so unpredictable and it seems random, but it can be affected. It seems to be affected by, by little changes. And that's a wonderful mindset to take when dealing with it. A lot of times when we're faced with a problem right away, our emotions take the wheel and fear and old habits and an emotion will take, we will want to take the wheel and continue to, to enforce, you know, old conditioning of our and, and enforced limitations that we believe for ourselves. So a lot of time we're always fighting for our limitations. Oh, I can't do this because I'm not old enough. I don't have enough experience. I'm not the right race. I'm not the right sex. And so we fight for our limitations and embracing the chaos includes fighting for the stuff that you're actually really good at and learning to find the root of problems as opposed to reacting to the emotion, to the emotional uh, baggage that comes along with it. You know, sometimes we just want to focus on the symptoms or the side effects and that starts to shut down the possibilities of what we can do with it. And some of my best, some of my, I've had some really beautiful experiences by just kind of rolling with it. Times when you're just so scared, you, sometimes you have a customer that's irate or you have a, you know, you have an issue that's going to cost a lot of money and it's, it's about doubling down and betting on yourself and knowing that no matter what happens, you're going to come out of it. Okay. If you lose, everything you still have yourself to to pick up yourself to pick yourself back up again and keep running with it and that's something that i try to teach the team uh that's something that we've learned together at the restaurant when we were faced with uh you know having to shut down several times last year 
that felt like chaos to us. I felt like, well, what are we supposed to do? This is what we know how to do. But it forced us to stop thinking with the only options we've ever dealt with and start to look for a new route. It's like when you're stuck at the train stop and the train stops and you don't know if it's going to be a minute or 15 minutes, but it's in that time that you start really kind of hearing the noises that your car makes and you start thinking about, well, was there another path that I could have taken to, to miss this train altogether? And if I leave right now, is there a way to get around this train so I can still make it to my destination in time? It's a way of not focusing so much on what the problem is, but focusing on what the solutions can be. And those are always within you too. It's the way that you perceive these issues and these problems. And that's what really shapes the experience and how you're gonna come out of it. And by making those small changes, it also affects the people around you and how they're perceiving it. Because you know, you're, the energy that, that you're putting off by being scared or by being angry or by being resistant is, is rubbing off on other people, whether you recognize it or not. And, you know, that, that I think, especially at a time when people really need somebody to, people need to hold together and people need uh, something to look forward to and to, to find hope in little situations, that path is a path that I like to take. And I think it's, it's been very positive in, its, uh, in, in what it's delivered for us. I want to pick your brain a little bit about the creative process because Mishli, and for those of, those of you that don't know, um, Michele started in a train cart, right? Um, and you started tasting menu and it was some of the, the most creative food, I would say, uh, in, in the country. You, you were uh, uh, best new chef by Food and Wine Magazine, uh, in a, you know, with, with Diego. But you, guys have, you guys have cleaned up a ton of awards and received lots of uh, national acclaim and recognition. Um, but I want to talk about the creative process. Uh, especially because you have an interesting restaurant where, where, where you have two chefs, you know, between yourself and Diego, yeah. how do you, how do you guys come, how do you guys go through the menu iterative process to create, uh, where do you get the inspiration from? How do you guys work together on that? Well, let's start backwards. So working together for Diego and I, that's always, I always like answering that question because it's not about who's, who's boss. The mm -hmm. boss is, is the baby. Michli is mm -hmm. the baby. And so if Diego and I come to, to, you know, or don't agree on something, then it's not like who's going to give a better argument. It's, it's really like, what does the baby need? Does the baby need another employee or does the baby need to get rid of this employee or invest in this or not move forward with that? Um, as far as the creative process goes, I think that we've always tried to look deeper than just trying to make the next cool recipe with, with uh, the next trendy ingredient. Mm -hmm. It's really more about, we started trying to to go forward, Diego tells a story about how we, we started the restaurant thinking that we were going to do really futuristic, modern stuff, but we quickly realized that we had a time machine on our hands that would take us backwards. And that mm -hmm. instead of going forwards, we wanted to go backwards and, and redo what our, and revisit what our ancestors did and figure out who, who created what uh, and, and give homage, pay homage to, to the creative agency of that. Um, a lot of times, especially down here, like, which is now Texas, but it used to be Texas, Mexico, it used to be just Mexico, right? Or it used to be just be land. Uh, the indigenous people that lived here, they don't get a lot of respect or, or they don't get a lot of, um, you know, they're not seen as the creators of some of these dishes like guisados that are almost 10,000 years old. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's these, these uh, honorifics go to, to usually a white male. And those are things that, that are now starting to change. And it's interesting to see how that's happening. We, uh, when we look for a menu and we're trying to create a new, something new, we look towards the past. We look into stories. We look into how, 
how influences in Mexico changed, changed the food in Mexico and also changed, you know, parts of Europe. You, could, you wouldn't have Spanish chorizo the way we know it today with that beautiful red hue if it wasn't for finding chiles in Mexico or pomodoros mm-hmm. in, in, in Italy if it wasn't for the tomatoes or how the potato changed the ecology and economy of Ireland. You know, these are all rooted in, in history and uh, they, they really tie the whole world together. And that's where, that's where I draw my inspiration when we're drawing dishes, when we're doing dishes together. And then Diego and I work really well together. He's super innovative and creative when we're putting a dish together. I bring a lot of flavors to the, to the, to the dish. I know how to manip, you know, I have a, I feel like I have a, a good handle on manipulating flavors and creating them from the bottom up. Uh, a lot of times I see them like colors in my head. And so then we work together in that way to put out together really beautiful dishes. And the team itself is inspired. They come to us with stuff like, Hey, I read about this. I went in and researched that. And uh, that's, that's been really cool. So we did something pretty cool. I, geez, was it, was it two years ago in 2019? You organized, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I mean, you could explain it better. You organized a bunch of us El Paso chefs to get together and cook. It was, it was a pretty incredible experience. Um, how'd you come up with that? Uh, well, as you remember, we'd be seeing each other at festivals throughout, you know, over the course of a few years prior to that. And it seemed like that was the only time we got to hang out together. And it was never actually cooking together. And I think that's where the conversation had started originally was that let's do something. Let's go back home. I, I didn't know you were from El Paso. Let's go back home and, and cook together. Of course, we can't just go do that. Like there should be something tied to it. Um, eventually, when we did start planning it, I think we all agreed that it would be good to give to, to um, Annunciation House, which was helping out migrant families that were coming out of detention and were just like kind of left on the street as soon as they were dropped off. And Annunciation House picked them up and gave them a place, space, uh, a roof up for the night, some food, some clothes, directions, information to get to their next destination, sometimes a ride. Uh, and that was important, an important way that we could give back. And also a great opportunity to get you guys to say yes. Uh, but I think each one of us that went wanted it just as much as I did. Uh, it was just a matter of getting the thing organized. And I happened to say yes to my friend, Mike Bonilla, when the time came to organize it. And he introduced me to the owners of Artovinos. And once they said yes, I felt like I couldn't turn back. And so the email started. And I still have the, that, I still have that thread of almost 200 emails of all of us trying to get this thing off the ground. And it was a scary thing because up to three, two weeks, or three weeks, two weeks before the event, we had only sold 20 tickets. And I was like, well, guys, we're at the point of no return. You got to come anyways. <laughs> so, um, but we sold out. We sold out in the last hours of, the, of that day. In true El Paso tradition, everybody did it at the last minute. And uh, we sold out and we had a pretty cool experience. You showed up a couple of hours before the event. I that. Oh no, no, that was, that was Omar. That wasn't me. I was on time. Oh yeah. You're, you got there a couple of days ahead, huh? So yeah, man, that was, that was good times. We had that big old rig and pretty views of the whole city. And I mean, just the fact that we were able to pull that off was, was pretty incredible. And that's one of those things where it's like, sometimes life feels difficult, but if you just go one email at a time, one chef at a time, you can actually knock these things out. And like I said, we're always fighting for our limitations, but instead we can uh, we can fight for the things that we can do and, and what's, build what's on those. What's wild is how many great chefs have come out of El Paso. When you think about it, like true, uh, true. it was it was it was it was you. It was it was me. It was Gabe Berales. It was Fermin. It was Omar Flores from Dallas. I'm trying to think who else was there, um, mm-hmm. but so many Alan, who's in uh, yeah, he's up in New York now doing his thing New, and, and New making York his name. Now. 
selling Shout burritos out. about things, man, and and like blowing their socks off. Vegan like, food or vegetarian, <laughs> vegetarian. Yeah, but, but a burro, and they love it. I see the posts. It's so Jake, great. Jake Rojas. It was. It's nice to see. Um, you know, so many so many chefs come out from that city, um, and 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 really, you know, become some of the best chefs in in the in the state of Texas or in the nation. Um, it says a lot about. Uh, it says a lot about the power of uh, uh, of of community and and you know having a growing up in a strong food culture. And I would I would argue this. This is my argument that there's some very strong food cultures in in the world. And I think in the United States. I would put El Paso in the maybe the top five food cultures, um, and and I'm not saying that they have the best restaurant scene. I'm just talking about a food culture uh, around. Uh, you could clearly identify food from El mm, Paso. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You could clearly identify food from New Orleans, right? If you're in New Orleans, yeah. you know that food. You could you could clearly identify food from El Paso, and I and I think. Uh, and I, and I think that says a lot. You see a lot of great chefs that come out of New Orleans. Um, you know, same thing in Boston. You know, you have a you have a food identity there. It's not it's not necessarily a melting pot. It's food that that uh, generations have grown up with. And I think you have that yeah. same thing in El Paso. And I think that uh, when you grow up in that environment, you you know the 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 family. Uh, the family sits down uh, and eats together. They, they, the, the grandmother cooks or the mother cooks um, or the father cooks. Um, but you do, you do grow up in a very food centric uh, environment. And, and I think El Paso puts out great chefs. And I think that's probably a big reason why. Man, I love it. I, I always miss home. I think there's so much talent there. Not just, not just that. I mean, the musicians and, and artists and like, there's so much going on there. Just driving around El Paso, you see all that art on the on the highways. It's, it's incredible. Ben Fife, uh, the guy I went to high school with, has been in the lead of getting the grants to to make that happen in El Paso. Hmm. So that's that's really make me make me wish I could travel right now. Yeah, it's it's a, it's interesting to see. You know, you have a lot of these um, up and coming uh, Latino Hispanic chefs. Uh, I know I have some in my kitchen. Shout shout out to uh, Lauren and, and Cynthia Ramirez. Uh, they're they're my upcoming superstars in the kitchen, but I'm, I'm sure you have some in your kitchen, and yeah, I'm sure. Shout out to Melissa Valenzuela, our our, uh, our resident El Pasoan. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, it's 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 great to see the next generation coming up, and hopefully, the idea is that they uh, carry the torch and uh, keep us proud. Th thank you so much for for taking time to speak with me today. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's always good to see you. It's always a pleasure. It's good to learn more about uh, what you have going on, um, and. Uh, We'll be in touch soon. Well, that went fast. Thank you, Andre. I really appreciate you having me on board. And congratulations with this, man. I'm, I'm so impressed and, and, and admire you so much for that. So respect and salute. For that. Thank you, Chef.